at what's called the north entrance to the hole. It's a it's a big gap in the reef, and it's pretty clear that poor little unsuspecting conks have been crawling over the edge of the hole so often that there's thousands of them down there. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. Hey everyone, it is Monday. Hope you did something adventure sports podcast worthy over the weekend. Um, I didn't, so <laughs> did a little work. But it is currently five degrees and snowing like crazy, so didn't really feel like going out. Um, but today's episode is quite literally the opposite of that. It is underwater with Erica Bergman. If you remember back in early October, we had her on. She was getting ready to to do to dive submarine, actually take us literally a small three-seater submarine um, with Richard Branson. Yes, that Richard Branson and Fabian Cousteau, which is uh, Jacques Cousteau's grandson. So if you're familiar with uh, the diver, the the very famous Jacques Cousteau, his grandson. So it's pretty cool. Erica got to take them to the bottom of the Belize Blue Hole. Uh, which is this sinkhole in the middle of this reef. And it's actually a cave system that's underneath it that used to be above water or the water level used to not be as high as it is. And a cave was formed. And then once the sea levels rose, this this roof of this cave gave out and it makes pretty much a perfect circle um, about 900 feet across, 400 and something feet deep. And it potentially has all these other passageways on the sides that lead to other parts of the cave but it's a really cool place the discovery channel live streamed it on the discovery channel during the expedition so it it was really cool so if you got to check that out it was awesome if not you can just youtube it there's tons of footage and erica was the pilot she was the pilot for this expedition and talks about the submarine they use which is really unique Talks about random things they found down there and the things they saw and the weird phenomenon that took place. And, man, just a really unique experience. Uh, Erica's pretty pretty cool, and what she does is really amazing, unique. It's exciting. So I hope you enjoy the conversation um, to hear about how the expedition went, which took place uh, back in December. So... Um, if you are in the middle of the the doldrums of winter somewhere, enjoy this tropical-focused, reef-blue, beautiful water podcast episode, because <laughs> I would sure love to be there right now. Uh, anyway, any announcements going on? Yeah, so uh, our patrons, um, if you are not a patron of the show, we'd love you to be. 
Um, but if if you are a patron, uh, I would go in and check your um, check your credit card status or check your uh, debit card, whatever you use to pay, because uh, something's going on with Patreon and like a bunch of cards got declined this past month and we lost like a third of our patrons. We know you all didn't quit. We, we didn't get notifications that you stopped your patronage. It just said your card was declined. So if you, if you are, just go in and check. That'd really help us out. Um, if you're not a patron and would like to be, uh, go to patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast and you can support the show for a dollar a month, for five bucks a month, for 10 bucks a month, uh, whatever you want. And you get access to extra episodes, which have to do with like adventure planning, gear review. Uh, we don't necessarily do giveaways on there because that's not um, acceptable by Patreon standards, but we do uh, book sharing and um, patron-only episodes. So if you'd like to check that out, go on there, sign up, and you'll have access to all that. Also, if you're five bucks a month or more, you can you can be on the show. Uh, we do patron-only um, sections of the show now. So if you're a patron and we want to hear we want to hear about your adventure background, your stories, and what you'd like to do. Uh, get on there and sign up. Also, um, this month's sponsor is Peak Refuel. Y'all have heard me talk about them. Guys, uh, sponsors make this show happen. That and Patreon. We would love if you would support our sponsors if you are in need of or would like to try their products or services. This month, like I said, Peak Refuel. They make freeze-dried meals for backpacking for hunting for fishing i use them um myself for some guided trips i did last year and we also use them in camp crate and uh, that is the other sponsor this month camp crate backpacking trips pre-planned all-inclusive all over the country they ship all the gear food permits everything right to your front door use the gear send it back when you're done it's that easy you don't even have to clean it that's how convenient it is a great way to try backpacking before you invest in all the gear or if you already have your own gear they have a lot of itineraries that are already pre-built so get in touch and they can help you out oh also i forgot the code for peak refuel is asp20 for 20 percent off let's see anything else i know how much you guys love me rambling on and on and on well that's it all right let's get to the episode so how, how did it go overall what, what was it like yeah, it was, I mean, it was definitely, it was definitely, there's, you know, a big, a big learning curve for us. It was the first time that we've run an expedition as a, as a, this particular team. And so, you know, there's always the inevitable hurdles of working on the ocean and we just took every single one of them in stride, I think. Wow. So you guys were able to actually, would would you, for the listeners that didn't uh, catch our first um, bef- beforehand episode, uh, cause we've gotten a lot of new listeners actually in like the last few months, like a lot, it's really grown, which is awesome. Could you just oh, go good. over? Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you too. Yeah. Your, your achievements huge compared to that, but, uh, but could you just go over what you guys did and, uh, what was the goal and did you succeed? Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, definitely. So, in um, November of 2018, we shipped our little three-person submarine Stingray 500 um, across, you know, frosty North America on the back of a truck. And then we put it on a ship in Texas. And we went by boat to 
Lighthouse Reef, which is 40 miles off the coast of Belize. And we were going to a very specific spot in Lighthouse Reef called the Great Blue Hole. It's this huge oceanic sinkhole in the middle of the ocean. Um, it's, it is exactly just a great blue hole. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Pretty, pretty um, creative we going, naming, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think Jacques Cousteau named it. So you can, you can credit one of the greats. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had, a, we had a couple of missions. Um, sort of our twofold goal, I guess, was to map the great blue hole using super high resolution sonar. And then also to take people worldwide on this journey with us through broadcast television. Now, you guys live streamed it on the Discovery Channel. Um, did that go successfully? Well, yeah, of course it, it did. We did do a live broadcast. Um, of course, the ocean is the ocean. We um, <laughs> we had big um, Caribbean-style winter storms. So the first week we were down there, the wind was blowing um, really, really hard and just making all of our prep work, just scattering all of our prep work. We just had to like hold tight at sea before we could actually go in and prep for it. So when it actually came right, down right. to um, live stream day, everything, we basically had one or two days to, um, to dive and prep for it. So we had, bless his heart, uh, Richard Branson came out a day early. Um, to sort of help us with it, um, basically help with the, the the reorganization based on weather. And we actually dove the day before the live stream. And then on the day of the live stream, we broadcast live from the ship. And um, we didn't have the big, the big fiber optic tether down because it would have just gotten chopped up by the ship moving and the waves rolling. So we broadcast live for two hours from the Great Blue Hole in Belize. And we showcased footage from the dive the day before with Richard Branson and Fabian Cousteau, um, all the while on a huge rocking ship. And what you couldn't see is that the entire live broadcast crew was seasick in the background. <laughs> but yeah, we made it. We made it work. Gosh, that is so crazy! And now you were the chief pilot of that, correct? Yeah, I piloted that one. We have um, three pilots at Aquatica Submarines right now. And so we were actually there for two full weeks of diving after the live broadcast and we, we take turns piloting. But on that one, I was, I was the, the lucky pick to pilot with Branson and Cousteau. Um, uh, just because the, the plan had been to have this fiber optic tether running out. And, um, so just experience wise, it made sense for me to, to do that one. And it was, it was great fun. I mean, Richard Branson is very chill. And Fabian Cousteau is pretty entertaining. So we just had a fun two-hour dive together. That's awesome. Now, yeah, uh, I don't know much about Fabian's uh, personality, but, you know, Richard Branson is obviously, he seems super laid back. I've listened to some interviews, and I'm like, wow, he, he he's very approachable. I'm sure he made you feel comfortable. Were you at all nervous? I mean, those are two big names that you're piloting in a in a hole that's never been done before. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be tough. Not really. I love that stuff. And we we did have a, a reconnaissance dive the day before, so I knew um, I knew the hole pretty well. I kind of had a good mental map of it from a reconnaissance dive the day before. And they were both so chill that we just we just had a good time. 
you know, it's, I kind of go on to autopilot and just have nice conversations with them and, um, show them the things that I've learned about the whole and, and learn things that they've maybe read about and are finally seeing for the first time. So we just had a very, you know, calm and collected dive. That's usually how it is. Even if somebody thinks they're nervous at the surface, as soon as they go underwater, it's so dark and quiet and calm that you just go into this it's like a temple. The whole underwater world is this giant temple. Man, that that just sounds so fantastic because there's so much of it, the underwater world, and it's also freezing cold here in Denver today. So that just sounds somewhere tropical like that. In that kind of, and I know what you mean. It's it's like when you're scuba diving and you're snorkeling. It's just this trance it puts you in. It's wow, that's that's awesome. So, um, what did you what what did you discover? From the beginning, there has been you know there's a there's a nice precedent set by these technical scuba divers and by Jacques Cousteau himself. Jacques Cousteau, when he kind of made the whole famous, he actually took one of his little submarines down. For a quick, he didn't pilot it, but one of his guys did for a quick little, you know, 10 minute boot to the bottom. So they, they have seen it. And then uh, a group of, of scuba divers from the Cambrian Foundation went down for a series of quick dives, but they're all limited, um, in bottom time. And so going back now, you know, 30 years later, we were able to spend extensive bottom time and really map the bottom and see things that nobody has seen before. Um, so we just kind of took the foundation that other people have laid and added modern technology and extended bottom time. So there were definitely a few discoveries down there that nobody has ever seen before. And they were, you know, a little bit life changing. Okay. How so? That's a, that's a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was, it was cool. I think, I think the, the first part of the dive is really quite fun. I mean, people are expecting it to be, oh, it's the Caribbean. It's so tropical. So yes, you do just, you descend immediately right down this kind of reef edge, but the water at the reef edge is the murkiest, I would say. So it's kind of this like milky view at a beautiful, colorful coral reef, but visibility is not great. And then you go down to about 130 feet. And that's the max that the scuba divers usually go. So scuba divers will go down, take a quick look at the, at the, um, stalactite caverns that are down there and then race back up to the surface because they've used up their, their, their bottom time basically. And these, these caverns are huge flowstones. They're stalactites that formed back when this was a dry cave when sea level was 500 feet shallower um, before the last, you know, giant glacial maximum melted 14,000 years ago. So when this was a cave during the ice age, all these stalactites formed and they're probably, oh gosh, they're like 40 and 50 feet tall. They're huge stalactites. And then as sea level has risen, the, the entire great blue hole has slowly been kind of chewed up as sea level has risen and wind and wave and tides have eroded down this limestone. And eventually 
the top of the cave collapsed in and that's what formed this huge sinkhole. It's it's a giant underwater cave that has been filled in by rising sea level. So these stalactites are maybe maybe a hundred thousand years old and um they're pretty majestic. You know, I've I've been in a handful of caves and and it is an awesome in every sense of the word experience, but never underwater. And for one of these caves to have stalactites so big, oh my gosh, that's so old. It, it takes so much time for those to form on top of, there's, there's a lot of processes going on. Obviously, it wasn't underwater at some point, formed this cave, and then through so much time, filled up with water, and then the processes that have taken place after that, I'm sure it was just, I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Even for someone that's so experienced as you, it's just like unreal. I'm sure it was absolutely unreal to be there. Yeah, it was. It was definitely um, an unusual geologic feature, I'd say. And the stalactites have—they've been underwater for so long that they are covered in marine growth too. So it's like big stalactite cave rocks, but then they're covered in layer upon layer upon layer of of algae and I don't know what kind of stuff is growing on there, but they're kind of like, they're even thicker than they formed as stone because they're covered in um, all of this marine life. So, so was there a network of caves down there that you could see into other passages or was it pretty much just a, a cylindrical hole straight down to the bottom? Yeah, well, we were looking for networks. Um, it, it seems very reasonable that, that if this formed as a giant cavern, that there would be a network uh, kind of affiliated with it. Um, we were kind of using our, our high-resolution sonars to try and um, see deeper into the caverns. And it's pretty likely that they that they do go a ways in, but the, the channels between them are small enough that we certainly couldn't, um, you know, go pilot into them or fit through them or anything like that. But we did every once in a while right around that, that big stalactite area. It's called the South Grotto. Yeah. Did feel like a teeny tiny movement of water. Not necessarily a surface-driven current. It's a little bit too deep for that, but um, some sort of some sort of little movement of water. So I think there is water flowing around this huge cave network. And, and Lighthouse Reef is, um, I think, 12 miles long. And, and so it's likely that there's caverns all along it. This is just one that the roof has collapsed in so we can, we can see into it. But presumably it runs a huge length of the Belize barrier reef system. Wow. So, so no, no successful, maybe some places that might have had some passageways, but nothing definitive. Yeah. Not really definitive from our perspective. We were there with our sonar equipment. And we created a big 3D map of the hole. We used um, three different styles of sonar to do it and overlaid um, all of this this different type of data on top of each other. We had what's called point cloud data. Uh, we had scanning sonar data. We had a kind of multi-beam data. And we put them all together and created a map. So we do have a map of blue hole now. But the, the sonar works like sight. If there's 
something blocking your view, it does the same thing to sound. It blocks the sound. And so we can't see past the stalactites with the sonar uh, because the sound just reflects back off the stalactites. So probably in there. But in our map, it's stalactites, cave walls, and the and the bottom contours. Wow. And what about the bottom? Was it pretty flat or 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 not? No, the bottom was actually that bottom had a lot of interesting features. There was um, so around three hundred feet deep. There's this layer of acid. There's a layer of hydrogen sulfide that you can Whoa. see, and when scuba divers go through it, they can physically smell it. Uh, it smells like rotten eggs. It's sulfur. Oh my god! And so we pass through this hydrogen sulfide layer, and on the bottom, there's absolutely no oxygen. There's no life below the acid, and um, the bottom had a lot of interesting features. Everything from, uh, in one case, a, a huge fallen stalactite. You can tell that as something shifted, a stalactite broke off, and it's laying on the bottom. And um, uh, an old gravity core from some sort of scientific expedition, you know, decades ago. There's this huge steel tube sticking out of the bottom, like very man-made steel tube. And, you know, somebody lost a gravity core when they were trying to, to punch through the layers of sediment. Um, and there's also this, this big berm of sand that runs like a ring all the way around the inside uh, from the way that the sand pours into the hole. So you can imagine kind of, you know, like a, like a kid playing in the sand. If you make a hole underneath a pile of sand with your hand, it creates a hole and there's sort of this waterfall of sand that falls down from the outside so it's creating this giant steep berm and we were actually able to get between the rock wall and the berm and pile it in this this trench almost and the trench was pretty interesting because it was uh, it was it was like driving through with giant mountain ranges um two feet to your left and two feet to your right that just kind of goes straight up and you're just in this little channel um and the whole the whole world is above you, you know, it's um, kind of eerie and also geologically a very fun place to pilot. I'm sure you have tried some freeze-dried and dehydrated meals before, but I promise you, you've never had anything close to as good as Peak Refuel. Uh, they make freeze-dried meals, which is different than dehydrated. It takes way less water to cook. It cooks a lot faster and they cook the meals before they put everything together. A lot of companies just throw all the ingredients in there, and when you cook it, it's the first time it's ever been cooked. With them, all the flavors have cooked together. It's super tasty, and you can get 20% off by going to peakrefuel.com and using the code at checkout, ASP20. Seriously, give them a shot for whatever adventures that you have planned this year. So I was going to, that was one of my questions actually was, did you find anything man-made? Because boats are just free to ride over this if they want to. And there's tons of boats out in that area, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, um, lots of dive boats. So they go in for, you know, a little morning dive in Lighthouse Reef, lots of scuba dive boats. And, um, I mean, it is a protected area, so 
you're not actually supposed to drive across the hole uh, mm. unless you're you know have some very specific scientific purpose like us we drove straight across the hole a lot um, but there were little man-made things there were you know fair amount of lost scuba equipment weight belts fins we even found um, there's you know a couple of plastic bottles those inevitable kind of things but we even found a um, a GoPro in an underwater housing with one of those little floating handles um, laying in the sand and we collected it we scooped it up we brought it back up to the surface were you able to salvage anything from it well obviously it smelled like ozone the water had crushed it and it was completely like burnt up and black and carbonized and gross and disgusting and we popped the SD card out put it in a computer and lo and behold we have some random guy's scuba diving footage and then a video where they drop the GoPro into the hole. <laughs> no way. So, so what, what did it look like they were doing before? Were they on a boat or something? Yeah, we, we even know what scuba dive boat they were on. So we're trying to find this guy and um, return his SD card from 400 down. How about that for a recovery story? Yeah, we need to. I mean, I'm sure GoPro has a list of their like craziest stories. They've got to find out about that because, I mean, that's what the resiliency that it takes to survive that. Who know How long was it down there? Do you have any idea about that? Yeah, the GoPro, the SD card has the dates. <laughs> so we know exactly, we know exactly the day and even the time that it fell. Oh my gosh. Has it, I mean, has it been a while? A year. It's been one year. Oh my God. That's, yeah, that's about a... I mean, I was mountain biking in the mountains last year and on this very, um, not very heavily used trail. And I found a GoPro on the trail, on the side of the trail. And it had been there a few years and it was, I popped the SD card out and it still worked. All the footage were there. You can see right when it fell off, but there was no information to find the, the, the owner. Oh yeah. But man, they, those things are crazy. Crazy strong. That is so, that is so cool. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty fun. Pretty fun things to find down there. There was a site on the bottom that we, so as pilots, we, we navigate mostly by sight and, and by sonar because visibility is so often limited. Um, it's basically limited to the maximum reach of our lights in a very, very dark place. And so that can be anywhere. If the water is really murky, that can be zero feet. Or if the water is very clear, that can be 80 um, to 100 feet. And so we're down there navigating, and we've actually got two submarines on this expedition. We're piloting with another submarine in the water, and we have underwater telephones, so we can talk to them um, acoustically. It kind of sounds like garbled, you know, like a tin can on a string, you know, we're at 200 feet, you know? What? <laughs> and so we make these names for places so that we can tell the other pilots where to go and there was one spot on the bottom that we called the conch graveyard and it's a wall on this big berm of sand that big ridge of sand i was talking about that runs the entire interior and there's a spot right at what's called the north entrance to the hole it's a it's a big gap in the reef and it's pretty clear that Poor little unsuspecting conks have been crawling over the edge of the hole um, so often that there's 
thousands of them down there. And it's completely anoxic. There's no oxygen. So they kind of try to crawl out, but they're 400 feet deep in a steep-sided cave on the bottom where there's no oxygen. So, you know, obviously they don't last very long. So there's one spot um, kind of near the north entrance that we call the Conk Graveyard. And, um, yeah, it's just little little things you learn about a site uh, that make it so clear this sort of connection between your experience as a submarine pilot and submarine crew and and the, the science that makes something true we obviously the the winds um the winds are kind of north northeast most of the time and so this entrance is probably the heaviest input of sand because that's where the wind is blowing from all the time and it's not until we got down there and saw this giant pile of conch and sand that we that we made the connection. You know, we realized this is the most predominant wind direction. That's why the sand is falling in the hole here. It's probably sand shifting that runs the conchs over the edge. They might not be crawling over by themselves. It's these weird little connections like that that seem so small but are so dramatic when when you're down there and you realize them it's it's these little light bulbs that go off yeah that that, i mean (laughs) that's that's really sad but it's it makes perfect sense you know what i mean it's like these poor things they don't know they're not looking around they just are going off the edge or like you said get kind of shifted over the edge by the currents and the wind and there is literally no hope once they get out, and there's so many. That is that is something that you would never expect, but once you know it's there, it makes perfect sense. Um, exactly, and it's just an expedition like this is just a thousand little realizations like that. Okay, well, so what are some more that that of things that were like, oh my gosh, that is so weird, it, but this hole is creating this phenomenon. Um, well, I mean, the, the, the cool thing about the hole is that it is, um, completely isolated from the powerful erosion of ocean currents. You know, it's like this measuring stick that's preserved from the disturbance of time because there's no current that gets down to 400 feet. It's completely stagnant. The, um, the walls of the hole are this perfect record of sea level rise. And so as you're going up and down the, the walls, you're looking at their, their calcium carbonate walls. Basically, the, the way that all of this stuff formed is reef grew in what was then the shallows. Let's call it 10 feet of water. Sea level rose. So that reef kind of got crushed and new reef grew on top of it. And again, over and over and over again for thousands of years, or sorry, for the last 14, yeah, basically 14,000 years, reef has been growing on reef as ocean levels been rising. So the walls of this cave um, in, at different levels are, are thick layers of calcium carbonate. They're thick layers of coral and shell and rock. And um, you can see these embedded, you know, they might be, you can tell if they're, if it's like, you know, two feet thick, then it was probably a pretty short period of time that sea level was at that layer because maybe two feet of coral growth compounded down in that rock was, you know, 20 or 30 years for sea level was at that level. 
Then you go up this very steep vertical limestone wall, and then there might be a layer of calcium carbonate that's 10 feet thick. And you think, wow, it's, that's must, sea level must have been there for five times longer. And what you see in this record of the hole is that sea level doesn't rise gradually. It rises in steps. And the steps could last um, many thousands of years, or they could last, you know, a few decades. And so there are certain parts of the hole where we can see that sea level can rise as much as 100 feet in 100 years. And then it's followed by a very long period of time where it doesn't move at all. And so what does that, you know, what does that tell us for our future? Are we planning on the oceans rising slowly and building levees and walls and protecting our coastlines, assuming that, that sea level is going to be gradual? Because what the hole tells us is that's not the case. It's going to rise dramatically and then it'll be stagnant for a while. So I think when you really look at it, you know, things are in terms of sea level rise for us right now as humans, Things are going to get worse before they get better. And if we're aware of how much it's going to rise, maybe we can maybe we can make some plans accordingly. I guess I did. I, I knew that that was one of the big reasons, but I didn't know why the the blue hole was such a good litmus test. So thanks for explaining that. That makes sense. Um, and I know Discovery mm-hmm. Channel had tweeted about that during during the live stream, and Richard Branson obviously talked about it. So you saw places where the water had risen that quickly in that few of years. Do do you know what was oh, yeah. happening? Oh, yeah. What was happening during that time and how long ago was that? Um it's all different. I mean there's there's white papers that are written up on this. Um you can you can read all about the um the the time periods that all of this exactly happened. Um Yeah. There's several several different layers of it and and right now we're we're sending our sonar scan. Part of the reason we did the scan is to measure the depth of these terraces into the wall and their frequency up the wall and their distances apart. And then geologists can take a look at that, this new data that we're providing them and really put numbers on the evidence that we can see. Um, so, so there will be a lot of really cool follow-up from this. So it was the world w- was warming at that time, obviously dramatically well it's been yeah it's been warming it's been warming for the last fourteen thousand years mm-hmm. since the last glacial maximum the world goes through ice ages you know every every we've had four ice ages just in our um just in our epic you know this yeah. we're in this sort of quaternary epic uh, we've had four big ice ages and the the one that ended about 14,000 years ago was really just a little one. Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely terrifying <laughs> to think. I know. Oh my gosh. But, then, but yeah, it's just the whole, the whole is just a good reminder that we are, you know, we're just a very we're a very short period at the to- of time um in the middle of a very long very long history of a planet. And um yeah, just a it just sort of you, you sit on the bottom at 400 feet and you're looking up at this pale blue circle of light that you can just barely see above you and remembering, just kind of realizing how, I don't know, how much life has gone on since the beginning of, of, of life on planet Earth. And it, it kind of, it's kind of cool, you know, everything, 
everything has led to this moment for you. And that's a, that's a cool realization too. Yeah. I'm trying to think that's, you know, it's like looking at, you know, layers of sediment or, or if, if you want to take it to a human aspect, layers of, of cities and these ancient cities, maybe in the Middle East or in Rome and, and seeing how many feet of literally stuff gets piled on top of itself. And for th- this whole 400 feet of, of life of coral growing over itself, I mean, I'm sure it makes you feel incredibly insignificant, but also comforting in the no- knowing that how resilient the world is and how yeah how precious it is it's it's life is life is resilient but we also have an incredible responsibility of not taking it for granted and not doing yeah. anything to disrupt it the possibility that it continues yeah exactly that is so amazing so so did the did the expedition achieve everything it set out to and uh was there any um unforeseen achievements maybe that were like wow this this happened because we did this yeah well i I, we did we did achieve um most of our goals we we got a lot of people down on dives we were uh, we went into the great blue hole with the full support of the belize government and um in partnership with the belize audubon society which which um organizes and runs the that that unesco world heritage site so we went in as as a partner as rather than just kind of a user of somebody else's um you know precious precious site and and that was really big for for the belize government and for the belize people because you know tourists come and just kind of use the hole and leave and and don't think about who's doing the work behind protecting it the conservation the policy so we went in really planning to deliver them all of this data, support them by bringing awareness to the whole and, and what we found in it and tell stories about it. So our big goal was, was, you know, being a positive collaborator in a place like that and setting a, setting the stage to do the same thing all around the world. So that was our, our number one, you know, mission objective. And, and we definitely accomplished that. There was a group of students from the local university that we were really hoping to take on dives, but the weather turned so nasty that the um, to get from Belize City out to the Great Blue Hole is about um, a two and a half to three hour boat ride in 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 like really nasty seas. Everyone would have been just like everyone would have been seasick and so uncomfortable. So they didn't, um, they didn't come out for their dives, but we did take, uh, local Coast Guard and, um, members of, of different NGOs that were already out in Lighthouse Reef, people from Mar Alliance. And it was just great to take all of these unique NGO and, and government officials down to see something that they've been working so hard to protect from the surface. And this is the first time that they've actually gotten to lay eyes on it in a way that they, you know, that nobody, that nobody has ever offered them before. So that was a really, really cool thing. Time for a quick message break. So, you know, the show is brought to you by Camp Crate. They specialize in self-guided, pre-planned, all-inclusive backpacking adventures, as well as trip advice, and as well as camping gear rental. So if you're in need of any of that stuff, reach out to them at campcrate.net. 
very helpful, and very knowledgeable. It's a great way to try backpacking for the first time or to scroll through their list of itineraries if you need some ideas on where to go. They will literally send you all your gear, your food, permits, coffee even, in a box to your front door. Use it for your trip. When you're done, return it with the pre-printed included return label. It's that easy. It makes backpacking and getting into the backcountry very approachable, very simple. Give them a shot. Now back to the episode. That's that's incredible. Uh, you know, nothing nothing sets your heart and mind to align to to protect something or to you know do some sort of project. And when you physically get to see it, you know, you can give money to something all day long, but until you go see the problem you're solving, oh, you're you're a lifetime. You're committed at that point. Oh, totally. And so one of yeah, some of these people we took down um, completely pro bono. But the, you know, a lot of the expedition was paid for by sponsorship. Some of it was in-kind sponsorship and some of it was, was actual sponsorship dollars. And some of the folks that came had, had paid for this experience. You know, they were enthusiastic about ocean conservation, enthusiastic about the experience of diving in a submarine, going down 400 feet in a in an oceanic sinkhole. And so some of the people we had out there were, were wealthy individuals who, who want to see their money go to good work and they want to see where it's going. We took them on dives and, and, you know, after that, they're, they're, they're regular committed members of, of funding ocean conservation. You know, every new place that we go for conservation purposes, they're going to come out, they're going to help with the sponsorship and they're going to get to go on a dive. And so it's really gratifying, I think, for people who are in the, the philanthropy kind of, um, you know, percentage of the world. They want to see their money do good stuff. And, um, and this was a way for them to see their money do some really, really cool work. So we've, we've made a lot of, we've made a lot of repeat, um, you know, sponsor clients for conservation as well. And that feels pretty good. Absolutely. So, you know, going from this, what what other work does it, this project involve for you, or is your role in it complete? And and what does the future hold for you? What are some things you're looking forward to? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a couple things. We're still doing follow up on the whole. We've got all this beautiful media, and so now, um, if you if you um, spend time on our our YouTube channel or our Instagram, we're just now editing together all of these great little clips from all of the media that we collected and writing articles, giving talks, especially to schools, uh, and then putting all of this data, the data that we collected is all going to be available. Um, it's going, it's going through a blockchain. So basically you just get a, a, a password and then you can access all the data. So we're getting all of that stuff set up so we can give the data to anyone who wants it, it's going to be this beautiful 3D sonar data, and um, you could do anything you want with it. You could 3D print, you could 3D print a coffee table, or um, you know, you could do anything. Make it into a make it into a 3D printed coffee mug with a big cool hole. <laughs> uh, so there's crazy. lots of cool stuff that we're doing <laughs> like that too. And but I'd say we're also you know, this one, Belize is, you know, we're done, we're finished with that expedition. And now the submarine is back in Texas and we are 
running full speed ahead for our next expedition. So we're getting everything prepped to go down and get the submarine ready to get on a different ship because our next expedition is in April and we're going to the British Virgin Islands. Oh, wow. That uh, sounds sounds like a tough place to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what are you doing down there? Yeah, we're well, uh, we're headed to BVI. Um, again, we're, we're doing it in partnership with a bunch of NGOs, including a couple supported by Richard Branson. Um, he loves, he loves our submarine. He thinks it's awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, we're doing some more work with, with Branson. Um, I don't know if you remember Hurricane Irma in 2017. Oh, yeah. But it was the, the biggest hurricane that has ever hit the Atlantic. Biggest recorded hurricane. And um, it really ripped apart the BVIs. It ripped apart, you know, huge chunks of Puerto Rico. It ripped up a lot of the Eastern Caribbean. And there was a lot of reef conservation that had been going on in the last 10 years. Because in 2010, there was a, a massive coral bleaching event. 90% of the corals in British Virgin Islands were bleached. People have been restoring them. And then this hurricane rolls through. And just just ripped them out by the roots. So we're going to create a a baseline survey of a you know freshly damaged reef, so that subsequent surveys can can quantify how much it's recovered and how quickly. Um, so we'll continue to survey it you know every few years as a as a a, a big scientific baseline study. So you say you, you keep talking about the submarine. Um, now, this submarine, can you tell us about what, what makes this thing unique? Because I, I, I read a lot about it, but, but you said Richard Branson also likes it. So what's, uh, what's so different about it? Yeah, well, it's, um, the, so it's called the, the Stingray 500. And um, we're currently building two more right now. They're called the, the S3s. Um, so they fit three people. And the, essentially it's this big acrylic sphere. So the three passengers who are sitting inside can look around in absolutely every direction. It's like going to the aquarium, to the biggest glass wall in the aquarium and being able to look everywhere. And so that's kind of the, the main feature of the submarine that makes it just wicked cool. And then it's also really easy to hand the controls over to, to, to new pilots or, or passengers. Um, the, the single pilot in the center can be controlling, you know, really critical features, uh, life support and, and buoyancy. But the submarine is, is piloted. We just put in a, a gamepad controller. So it's a, it's like an Xbox. Controller. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's really easy to physically drive it. You know, you're, you're sitting there next to someone and you can be giving them, you know, mild directions about where to go and speed and um, kind of the mass of a vehicle moving through water. And they get a really good grasp of how to pilot the vehicle very quickly without obviously having to worry about the minutia of of um, piloting that the, the actual pilot in the center is dealing with. So it's really a fun submarine. I gave, uh, I gave almost everyone who wants to an, an opportunity to drive. I let I let Fabian drive when we were on our way to the blue hole and um, I gave Branson the controls at the end and he was so excited. He was, he was telling me and he's British, right? So he's 
Uh, I'm the submarine skipper now. Now I'm the submarine skipper. You can be my co-pilot. <laughs> uh, he was just having a great time. <laughs> oh, I can I can hear that. I can hear him saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't want to give the controls back, and that that's one of the cool features about it too is is how maneuverable it is. It just makes sense to a lot of people. Um, and then we you know we have a lot of safety features, things um, under the hood of the car, so to speak, that make it a very safe vehicle and really high operational standards. So safety is paramount. And um, as a team, we have, you know, procedures and, and mechanical things in place in the submarine that the passengers never really see, but make, make us as a team feel really good about, um, about piloting it and, and uh, going out to explore the world. So that's, that's one of the coolest things. Is, yeah. The gamepad. People are into the gamepad. <laughs> what a I don't know what a what a unique thing to have in just to keep the the visitor in mind, the guest in mind. Uh, yeah, that's there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing you're gonna do like saying I I I may I control the submarine somewhere. Like how cool yeah. is that? That's that's really yeah. smart of you guys to put that together. You you've got to have the coolest job. One of the coolest jobs I've <laughs> I ever. I do heard like of. it. There are little things that come up with it. So. I mean, okay, just between you and me and all of your listeners. Yeah, like um, tens of thousands. This was the first people. time <laughs> we had run. <laughs> this is the first time that we had run with the gamepad, and so we, um, you know, it's just it's just got a little USB plug-in. It's it's hardwired, um, so it's a little USB that plugs into our brand. It's called a Scuff controller. It's just kind of a high-end gamepad controller. And I'm 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 sitting out there in Belize. My passengers are already offloaded. We've had a great dive, and our procedure for for meeting up with the ship to get picked out of the water by the A-frame is is pretty intense because of the wind out there. While we were out there, the ship is swinging, and this is a 175 foot steel ship. I mean, this thing is swinging fast, and so there's a tiny little 45 second window when it's at the apex of its swing, when the submarine can approach, get taglines on, get hooked up very quickly to lift the submarine. And um, we got really good at it. It was a, a definitely a solid procedure. and um, But it meant that the submarine has to wait about four minutes for the ship to go through an entire swing cycle before it gets to that, that one particular apex where you're going to go in and, and get picked up. So I'm sitting out there. I'm enjoying the sun. I'm looking around. I've got the game pad. I, I set the game pad down um, on the, the little, like, kind of on the hatch ring and uh, just adjusting a little cover here and there. And the USB cord came detached and the game pad controller fell in the water. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which means <laughs> I just watched it like plunk. Oh, there it goes. Which means, uh, um, hey guys, I just dropped the controller in the water. <laughs> no. But <laughs> oh no. Obviously, it's not. It's not good. Um, but we have so many. We have so many procedures backed up, planned for in like worst case scenario. That within about two and a half minutes, I had a brand new GameCad pad controller plugged in and was on my way to the ship. It was like. It was just, it was no big deal because we have planned for every single possible eventuality. And, and in most cases, like in this case, it was two and a half minutes. 
I called him up. I told him I dropped the controller in the water. And, um, and then I had a new one in my hand and we were good to go. So it's, you know, we, we definitely learn things on expedition, but we also feel pretty good about the prep work that we did before we headed into a situation like that. No kidding. I, I just can't wait for the scuba diver to be like, what the hell's an Xbox controller doing down here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we actually, we recovered it. Oh, for real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's we too funny. To, we wanted, we wanted to take a look at, so we recovered it. We didn't want to leave any plastic in the ocean. Yeah, no, that makes sense. No, it's, uh, yeah, that's good because yeah, I, I was at the beach just this week uh, over the break, and people just think the ocean's just one big trash can. Like they can just throw something in there and it's forgotten forever. So I'm glad that you know you have that kind of integrity to to say yeah. you know no one saw that this this place is enormous. This will not make a difference, but it does. So cool. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That is, uh, that's got to be a highlight of your life so far. Um, but by no means is it going to be, um, I'm sure you're going to do dozens and dozens of more expeditions, if not hundreds like this that are just as epic and just as awesome. So congrats. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So. Thank you. Yeah. That's just, it's too cool. And so, um, how, if people want to follow you guys and what you're doing and what, um, Aquatica submarines is doing, how can they do that? Um, well, we've, we, uh, we take great pride in our Instagram. So it's at Aquatica subs is our Instagram and our, our YouTube is uh, Aquatica submarines. You can find, you can find us on, um, Facebook. We have, we have a webpage, Aquatica submarines.com. And, um, that's kind of where we're, we're taking our pride and joy, creating little media sizzles for everyone to see what it's like, um, to, to be a submarine crew and put a little behind the scenes stuff in there. We like interaction. If, if people send us messages like, Hey, send a picture of what it looks like, you know, doing this or doing this. We, we like that kind of thing. There's, we're a small crew and, and so interaction kind of makes us feel like like our crew was a little bit bigger. So we're very, we're very open to that. And, um, yeah, those are our main, those are our main little spots in articles and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, well, what, what you're, what's so cool about it is what you're doing so visually captivating that it's perfect for Instagram. Like I'm, I'm scrolling through it right now. And obviously the submarine itself is gorgeous. And, and that, um, acrylic dome sphere that you're in is just so cool. And, everything it captures is just gorgeous. So from the machinery itself to the places that you're taking it, it's really awesome just to scroll through what you've seen on it. That's, that's so cool. So congratulations on all the work and in, in the effort and the successful mission. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we'll be in touch. Uh, we'll be in touch around BVI. Yeah, please do. Like we, we'd love to, I mean, we don't have any other, um, submarine pilot that we talk to on a regular basis so you've got that market (laughs) on this show all to yourself (laughs) all right i'll take i'll take that oh man yeah you've got it you've got it uh and no one's gonna beat what you've already done so so it's all yours well good we'll reach back out and and uh excited to get this up thanks again for uh, being on the show sure and uh yeah i look forward to to following along congrats on your Congrats on your podcast growing. Oh, it's, it's, you know, well, when we keep having guests like you, 
you know, it's going to, people want to hear an interesting story like this. So, so it's uh, really, it's a lot to do with who we have on the guest. So, so thank you. Sure. Thanks very much. All right. And have a all good right. one. And I uh, hope you don't get you overwhelmed too. with all that media coverage. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Thanks. See ya. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. First of all, thank you so much for listening to the episode. Uh, secondly, if you would like to get in touch, you can leave us a voicemail at 812-MAIL-POD. You can also send us an email, info at adventuresportspodcast.com. Get a hold of us on Facebook, Instagram. Contact us on the website. Like, There's just a thousand ways to do it. If you know somebody that would make a good guest for the show, whether they're whether it's you or somebody you know with a really cool story or background or does an interesting sport, get in touch. We'd love to have them on. Also, if you'd like to be a patron, a.k.a. a supporter of the show, patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. You can sign up for as little as a buck a month. You can sign up for five bucks a month. And lastly, thank you to our sponsors whose messages follow right now. If you want to save 20% off the best backpacking food on planet Earth, go to peakrefuel.com and at checkout, use the code ASP20. So after all of this outdoor talk, if you're looking to plan your own getaway, head to backpacktribe.com and get ready for your next adventure. They have customized gear bundles and free shipping, and they'll be able to get you ready for any adventure that you want to tackle. Check them out, backpacktribe.com.